This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, everyone. How you doing, Joris? I'm doing good. I'm good. How are you doing today, Maxwell? Are you all right? I'm, I'm good. I'm waiting for 2020 to end. I'm good. <laughs> the year's yeah? almost over, and, you know, uh, here, here we go, though, right? Okay, okay. So uh, are you optimistic about t- 2021? I, I feel like how can one not be optimistic about 2021 <laughs> when the, the bar, bar has been very set low. this low? <laughs> exactly. So 2021 is not stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, So who do we got today? Oh, well, today we've got Sarah Gerke. Uh, Sarah has been uh, working in the 3D printing industry since 2014, and uh, she used to be the editor-in-chief at 3dprint.com, and now she edits uh, Fabulu, and also at the same time uh, runs a, her own company uh, called Additive Integrity, and at the same time as well is very involved with uh, uh, women in 3D printing, and those are the kind of subjects we want to talk to her about, as well as like, yeah, just looking a, a little bit back at the year, I guess, what's happened and what we expect to happen next year, that'd be really nice. So welcome, uh, welcome to the 3D pod, Sarah. Thanks, Joris. Delighted to be here. Thanks awesome. for joining awesome. us. So, yeah, so Sarah, so first off, like, how'd you get involved with 3D printing? How'd you end up in this, uh, this crazy industry? Accidentally. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is always the way. <laughs> but totally accidentally, you knew nothing. You were just like, okay, I'll become an editor. No, you know, you just blundered uh, in here. Basically, I just like, boop, 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 wandered in and, okay, okay. Uh, you know, made a home for myself. So I have degrees in English and theater. And I tell everyone, like, the obvious career path is then tech. So (laughs) right out of college, like, I was all set to go get my master's degree in the UK in theater direction. Like, I was all set for that. And then the U.S. hit a recession in 2007, 2008. So I was like, maybe a degree in theater is not the uh, most (laughs) reasonable thing right now. Uh So I kept at it with the manufacturing company I'd been temping at. I was there for a while, and then I finally got a job using my English degree, which was crazy pants. And I was working in industry research at a market forecasting company. Mm. So I was an editor there uh, for about six years then. And then I was just kind of ready for my new thing, you know, and just like looking out, um, like, where can I grow? Where can I do something cool? What's interesting? And I was applying like literally everywhere. I was sending out dozens of resumes a week because that's just how life goes sometimes. So like I was almost a menu editor at a restaurant holding company. I was almost okay. a copywriter at a tire company. And then I saw, I was on this listserv for editing and writing jobs. And I saw a Craigslist post from Florida. I'm from Cleveland, by the way. And um like the most reasonable thing to do from Cleveland is respond to a Craigslist ad from Florida (laughs) for a startup tech site looking for a writer and editor for remote work, all of which sounds super on the level, right? It turns out, yeah, Yeah, it turns out it it was. was. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I quit my office job in a cubicle, started working remotely for 3dprint.com like three days later. And I was the fourth employee of the site at the time. And this was fall of 2014. 
And the Krasenstein brothers owned it at the time, and it was still quite new. They were really growing it at that point. So I was only really the second person outside their direct context who'd been hired on. Then I was like, okay, this is interesting. I know a little about 3D printing. I've seen it on the news. I had edited one industry report at the market research company I'd been with about the global 3D printing industry. And looking back now, I'm like, wow, we had that segmented ridiculously. It made no sense. But at the time, I was like, yeah, this seems reasonable. And then uh, less than a year after I started, they sold the site, came under new ownership. The Krasenstein brothers stepped out of editorial, and the offer was on the table to become the editor-in-chief. And I was like, yes, of course I will do this thing. Yeah, <laughs> And I always tell everyone that was kind of the turning point when it went from being a job to meet me to being a career, because that's when I started traveling. I went to my first trade show in October 2015. Um, inside 3D printing Santa Clara and I fell in love it's just like these are the people doing it these are the things that are actually happening like there's reading about it every day and writing about it and at the time we were publishing like two dozen articles daily you know I was super busy I'd read a lot by this point I was familiar with the names with the companies with like the general academic overviews of everything but as soon as I like started holding these parts and talking to these crazy passionate people doing it I was like I'm in love. This is what I do now. Okay. So it was the people that drew you in really more than anything else. There's this passion behind so many of the people in 3D printing for doing these things. And everyone's like, you know, everyone's got their spark story. You know, a lot of people, the first time I saw a 3D printer, it was magic. It was making something out of nothing. It was building it in three in thin air. It was making things that couldn't be made before. New geometries, new complexities, new personal things. And, Obviously, it helped like a lot of the first people I talked to were on the medical side. So seeing lives literally saved or being made better, more comfortable, more safe, like stuff that touches lives. Like I'm a softy, man. You know, it got me. It got me in the heart feels. And it's like, look at what you can do. And also the ridiculous art people can make. Like those were amazing, which is funny now because I really skew industrial these days. So I'm like, yeah, manufacturing, but it was the beauty and complexity and passion that brought me in that made me want to stay here. And after like uh, after 3D Print Ocom now, uh, you started your own firm, right? I did. So in summer of 2018, I wanted just I wanted to do more and get more, you know, more into the industry, more into the people. I wanted to do more with women in 3D printing. So I left 3dprint.com in excellent hands, might I say, Joris. Uh, excellent editorial hands and just kind of wanted to see what else was out there. So I launched my own company that summer, Additive Integrity, just for targeted AM focused editorial services for whomever needs them in the industry. And so that was when I got to start working directly with OEMs and service providers, writing blogs, white papers, doing a lot of consulting work, uh, flying around to different Companies like I did some consulting with ASME on a new course development project, which was really cool. And uh, my primary client is Fabulo, so I'm the managing editor there. So that's kind of my 75% of what I do daily in and out bread and butter work. Uh, I get to work with Carrie and Marnie every day, which is awesome. It's another great team. Like there are just so many excellent teams in here, and I'm very fortunate to work. How, how do you balance that? If I'm like an OEM and I ask you to write an article, I'm paying you to write an article about me, and then at the same time you're on the other side of the fence for Fabulou deciding what gets published or not. How do you balance those two things? As well as I can. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I have very clear lines as well. Um, so companies who are clients of mine 
if I write about them in a publication, which I generally try not to do, I do include a note at the bottom. Okay, okay. Like this has been a client of mine through Additive Integrity, but this work is separate from that and is only for Fabulous. There was no, okay, you know, okay. there's no client relationship in this piece. But for the most part, like if a company I have a client relationship with wants to be published at Fabulous, I'll generally say, hey, Carrie, can you write this? Like okay, okay. I have this relationship. I always... I put integrity in the name of my company. I try really hard to stand on that and uh, make sure and everyone kind of knows what's where. And, and is this what you keep on wanting to do? I mean, I mean, you could, do, do you want to build on this business or do you want to do other things or do you, you don't know yet? I feel like if one thing should be clear from my quick journey, I've just shared it's that I have no plan. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you do have a, you have an interest obviously in women in 3d printing. I'd love to dig more into with the, with the Fabulous like purpose behind it. And isn't that a big pusher or driver for you? to promote more of that, like women in 3D printing? Absolutely. So in, again, the summer of 2018, I was very fortunate. Uh, Nora asked me to join the first board of directors at Women in 3D Printing. So the first board of directors was formed that year when Women in 3D Printing officially became a nonprofit, which is a pretty big deal. And poor Nora had to do a lot of paperwork. Nora Torre founded Women in 3D Printing six years ago now. Um, it was December of 2014. So it's just hitting the sixth anniversary. So in 2018, uh -huh. the first board was Nora, me, and Dana McCollum from Carbon. And we started to really organize it. You know, when Nora founded Women in 3D Printing, she did it because she was realizing at trade shows, at events, she was one of the only women she saw. She was, yeah. you know, a professional who knew a lot about the business. She was with Sculptio at the time. But people would say, oh, no, I'll wait to talk to him. Like, I have a technical question. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and she, she wasn't the only person who'd hear that, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. a lot of the women would, at booths, at trade shows, would, you know, get treated that way. And just people would assume they were the receptionist or someone right. helping to organize things. Or, or like, I, I, have, I have a technical <laughs> question. I'll wait for him. It's like, actually, he's our admin. Right. <laughs> um, so she just kind of wanted to talk to other women and she was like I you know I don't run into that many women at these things so I'll start a blog and just you know interview a woman a week I I figure I know most of them so this will be a project for you know a couple of months and here we are six years later um, hundreds of women have been featured there's still an interview published once a week um, and now the community is over 22,000 people strong nice. across That's the world insane. That yeah. is insane, dude. It includes men and women um, because to grow an industry like this, you obviously need the support of everyone together. And so having strong allies helping to just build this more inclusive industry is really necessary. Um, but we've got global chapters. There are ambassadors for each kind of region. So like, you know, there's a Youngstown chapter, a Boston chapter, but then there's a North America chair who works with all of those women in 3D printing ambassadors. So are you guys doing meetups and you're doing other things? Yes. Are other, yeah. Another. So there are local and regional meetups. Um, obviously, it's 2020. The right, world's on yeah. fire, so everything's <laughs> virtual. But it's also cool because now you can join any meetup. Like nice. Yeah. Carrie and Marnie with Fabulo are based in Winnipeg. And I was able to pop into the Winnipeg Women in 3D Printing chapter and give a presentation. And otherwise, like, I've only been to Winnipeg in person one time. I just 
don't get out there a lot. <laughs> but being really? able to pop imagine. into their meeting. Right. Um, right. And then, you know, you can stop in at the Oceana chapter. You can stop in at the African chapter and just, like, get to know people around the world right now. So actually, like, the virtual events have been really great for the organization. Are there, are there any thoughts of partnerships? Like, I mean, I'm a member of SWE, uh, the Society of Women Engineers, uh, for example. And I, I joined that in college and found it to be a great organization for helping to promote women in engineering. Um, and there are a number of organizations like that that might help to even further bolster women in 3D printing. Okay, so one of my biggest drives in women in 3D printing since I joined the board is the diversity for additive manufacturing reports mm -hmm. that we launched in 2018. Um, it was initially going to be a quarterly resource because there just aren't a lot of diversity res uh, statistics or resources available. Um, but we still couldn't find the data because still no one wants to report like how many women, how many people of color are in your organization, like what are the different backgrounds. That information's hard to come by. So now it's kind of semi-annual to annual. just based on when we can get details. But for the 2020 edition of the report, which we put out this summer, I really wanted to do a special edition because again, in all of the difficulties of 2020, we've had significant protests that started in the US, went worldwide for Black Lives Matter. And that is something else we need to talk about as an industry, yeah. as a world, as a society. And so for that one, you know, Nora and I were talking about it. It was like, I've written every diversity for AM report we've done, but I was like, I am not the right author for this. I am a white lady who has, you know, I, I'm not the person to mm -hmm. lead this one. I am happy to help get resources in place. But uh, we worked with Katie Sinzi, who runs Three Adept Media in France, in Belgium, excuse me. Um, and Katie was wonderful enough to accept our offer and take on the lead authorship for the special edition report where we actually talked about these issues and we talked about diversity and inclusion and she interviewed people across the industry and we worked closely with BYs, which is black women in science and engineering. Okay. And yeah. they're ahead. So we now have a relationship with BYs and it's wonderful to start seeing more diversity and inclusion where women in 3D printing isn't only talking about gender parity, but we're talking about, you know, broader issues of diversity and equity. Yeah. And, and so if we're looking at this kind of thing, how diverse are we? I mean, I'm, I shudder to ask really. Yeah. <laughs> you don't <laughs> want to know. Be good, is, <laughs> this is not going to be good, is it? Um, so, so how diverse are we as, as an industry? We, um, you know, not. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, okay. but I will say it is absolutely getting better because like, okay, okay. especially when we're talking about things that we've seen at women in 3D printing, you know, when Nora started it, she did it because she wasn't seeing herself represented in the people of the industry. And I've had that feeling. I've a hundred percent had that experience. You know, there have been many times I've been the only woman in a room mm -hmm. and Honestly, like, okay, 2020 aside, <laughs> because I haven't yeah. been in a room with anyone. Uh, um, otherwise, I, it, it has to have been at least a year, if not two, since I had that happen. Mm -hmm. And it's still notable. Like, I remember an event um, that a company hosted, and there was a big dinner, and I looked around, and there were eight tables, I think. And at each table, there was one woman. 
so I looked around my table. I was like, I guess I'm this table's token woman house, everyone. <laughs> and the seven gentlemen I was sitting with were all like, oh, no, oh, no, that, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. I was like, <laughs> yeah, so it's like, totally is. <laughs> If, yeah, you're yeah, not, yeah. <laughs> if you're not that person at the table, if you're not the token woman, token person of color, token figure of whatever, um, you know, minority you're representing at that point, you might not notice. Like, it's easy when you're in the majority to not notice how weird right. it is that no one else there looks like you. No one else there shares some of those experiences that you do. So the more we open up those conversations, the more, you know, we've seen a lot of... Uh, like, obviously, we're working in the manufacturing industry. So I work with a lot of men all the time. And a lot of them have, over the years, just become so much more attuned to this idea. And they're like, you know, we want to work on this, we want to hire more women, we want to hire more people of color, we want to see things better represented. And the conversations are opening up, like, how do we do this? How do we all work together to make this happen? And just the fact those conversations are happening and, you know, in the nicest way that white dudes are asking those questions, it's really refreshing to see. Yeah. I think a big example as well is when we went from small engineering-driven organizations to having more operational excellence, needing more people in marketing and PR and, so, and, and HR and stuff. We did see a lot of more women hire and, and, and support roles and stuff like that. Uh, but still, like finding women for the, the engineering jobs is still like super, super difficult for a lot of companies. And I know a lot of companies like uh, that are really trying as well. Mm-hmm. And are you doing stuff to try to get more like high school girls or something like that involved in our industry and stuff like that? Like create more women in 3D printing, if you will? Definitely. So, you know, in fact, thanks for leading into that because one of the newer women in 3D printing initiatives is women in 3D printing next gen, which is focusing more on the youth and focusing more on that next generation of women in 3D printing. So we have 15 volunteers on that team, I believe, who are, you know, getting into schools, getting into community organizations, helping to provide information, to offer themselves as role models, to start conversations with girls in school who might be interested in STEM and STEAM areas and helping to really foster those curiosities and keep it going because statistically there's a huge drop off um, in girls who at like sixth grade express interest in STEM areas. And then if you revisit that in about ninth grade, that number often is like cut in half. And it's not because they're less interested in engineering. It's because they're not seeing it as being something for them, which yeah. is so unfortunate. And so why do you think that, is, that needs is, to is change? It, a lot of people will just say it's interest, right? It's just interest and they're not as interested. But is it role models? I don't know. Do you have it's any more ideas than that. I don't know. Right? I'm just, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time in the EU space as well. So I've, this is something I've always been like keen to like yeah. help stamp out. But I mean, what do you, yeah, Sarah, you, you, by all means, <laughs> you're <a> more, <laughs> sorry to. No, you're definitely right. Um, <laughs> a lot of it is role model and expectations. And just like we're talking about with diversity and inclusion, um, it's systemic, you know. Um, it's what is encouraged in schools, what's modeled in schools, the expectations foisted on girls versus boys as yeah. they grow up and what they see in the schools and what their teachers might have these unconscious biases. Like I know I felt more encouraged in school when I was taking home ec than when I was in shop class. Like 
my shop no. teacher really kind of wrote off a lot of the girls and he was like, here, let me uh, engrave this keychain for you. And I was like, I want to learn how to operate this drill press. Like, <laughs> let me do it. And I, I did it, you know, it wasn't great, but mm-hmm. I did it, but I never built a birdhouse that some of the boys did. I had my little balsa wood airplane, but I didn't really work with a lot of heavy machinery until college. Cause again, theater major, I built a lot of sets. Um, but even then some of the guys would take over some of the power tools for me, yeah. which has its own repercussions. Cause then when I was doing, um, a final project for my technical production class, um, I cut my fingertip off on a bandsaw oh, because I, like I hadn't had to use it before. Cause one of the guys would always be like, Oh, I'll get it. And then I was cutting a table out of foam and the foam fed back and I, lost oh, part of my fingertip yeah, oh, yeah it oh. was finals week and i was also an english major so <laughs> let me tell you about typing those final papers uh, <laughs> oh. okay that's cool but what i think is cool about our industry is is actually women in 3d printing is the largest kind of lobbying connecting whatever organization we have right so we went from like really a chauvinistic uh, kind of really male-dominated industry is somewhere where the largest lobbying group, the largest group of connective people is women in 3D printing, much larger than any other group. And do you think that's going to change the industry fundamentally as we go on? Or? I mean, I think the industry is changing the industry fundamentally. Everything about additive is about changing the way we do things, right? I mean, back to what I love about this industry, it is innovation, it is change. It's changing the way we manufacture, the way we build. So why shouldn't the industry itself be built differently than what we've seen traditionally and conventionally because you know maybe those things aren't the best way to go about things and just like you think about with dfam like better ways to design for these new things there are better ways to build teams and communities and industry and what are you guys going to be doing for the next year i mean do you have any plans or stuff you're going to be doing and up to and all this so the biggest thing we've got going on is coming up super super quickly actually Um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but as of our conversation, um, we're a little more than a month out from the first Women in 3D Printing annual conference. How's that going to happen? Where is that? Okay, so it was going to be in Denver, but the world's still on fire. So it will be virtual for the inaugural event. So Type 2021 will be held virtually on the Remo platform. It is free to attend live. There's also a paid registration where you can get access to every recording. And frankly, I would totally recommend getting the recordings because we have lined up an all-female speakers agenda, so the first of its kind in the industry, with more than 125 women confirmed already to speak across five tracks. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's huge, Ron. So whenever Uh, anyone's saying, uh, like, I can't find women to speak in this industry, uh, I will never never not laugh at that again because I, I wish we could have accepted every speaker submission we received. But we couldn't. We had dozens we could not accept by sheer number. Um, So, you know, hundreds, plural, of women expressed interest in being involved in speaking and helping facilitate, organize, run, be ambassadors for this event. And so TYPE is T-I-P-E, 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And that stands for technology, industry, people, and economics, which are the four primary tracks we designed when we created it. And then we added, through the planning process, a fifth track focused on youth. So it's okay, actually okay. five tracks running concurrently, include as well as a main stage that will have keynote presentations and discussions and significant networking possible. Uh, I really like the Remo platform for that. You can actually you know, sit at a virtual table and 
talk to people, have your camera on, see the human people on the other side of this and really talk again to people in the industry. But we've already got several hundred people registered and we're still a month out. So we know registration is going to go a lot higher still as we continue to push through. We're working with some amazing sponsors. We've got five platinum sponsors who are, um, you know, our main stages are named for them. And we've got gold sponsors, silver sponsors, media media partners. Um, we're just working with some really excellent people to make this happen. And the fact we've had so much support shows there's really a place in the industry mm-hmm. for this to be happening. Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking, like, are you going to do this digitally all the time? Do you hope to go to a virtual, a real event, or what's your thinking for the future? You don't uh, know the intent. Yeah, the intent is definitely for it to be an in-person event. In the future, we want to get everyone together. Um, we actually looked at hosting this in Cleveland. So Ori, who's um, with Nora and working on everything, he and I toured some places in Cleveland. Like we might host it in Cleveland one day because it's really an up-and-coming city in the tech belt, which is very convenient for me. And also wonderful. Like there's a lot actually happening in Cleveland. We were going to host it in Denver this time around, but we want the first event in person to be in North America. We eventually want it, you know, another edition to be held in Europe. We want to really like kind of take the event where the people are Mm. so we can keep getting that. But this year um, it's difficult being virtual, but it's also really one of those weird silver linings because we can have this global participation. Um, I'm the track leader for the people track. And so I've been getting together my tracks agenda of people. I have speakers from Europe, from North America, uh, from Japan, from South Africa. And, you know, we wouldn't have been able to have all of this global presence without it being virtual we couldn't just say like hey we know you're in south africa can you pop in and speak for you know 30 minutes so just generally about like i'd like to talk about what do you, do you have any more questions about this the women in 3d printing stuff max or yeah i just say one last question like, oh, sorry, sorry. Who, who are you who are you seeing as really being the leader in the industry right now and in, in promoting women in 3d printing or diversity i should actually say in, in 3d printing is there any particular company that you're seeing kind of helping to blaze the trail or is it a little bit from everyone or, or is it a struggle from everyone? You know? <laughs> I mean, it's an industry wide, both struggle and effort. Right. I will say that the companies who are sponsoring the event are certainly looking to lead. And we are really grateful to that because there are some huge names like the platinum sponsors. We've got HP, GE additive, Trump, Desalt systems and matter hackers. And then if you look even to the gold and silver sponsors, like these are the companies who approached us and said, this is so important. We want to be involved. We want our name on it. We want to support this. Women in 3D printing also offers general corporate sponsorships. So a company can just be, you know, a corporate member of the organization and say like, this is something important to us. And all of that, you know, gets access to additional resources that we're able to make available. And again, it's a nonprofit, like this is all volunteer work. Everything I've done for women in 3D printing has right. been volunteer work. So it's everyone giving hours and hours and days of their time to make this stuff happen. But we have resources like a female speakers database, which has been kept up for years now, actually, but it's more easily available now. So when people are saying, like, I want women to speak, like, who can I get to do that? Like, we have resources. We're doing that. There's a women in 3D printing jobs board. Like, there are a lot of ways that we're trying to connect the industry and 
find out what resources people need to make a more equitable future for the industry and make those available and really provide action. But that all starts with conversation. So, you know, it's yeah. great that we're having that conversation here. Oh, that's cool. And um, so just a little bit more towards the other work of the news, let's say. So uh, going back over, over like the last year, let's say we're at almost at the end of the year. What do you think are some of the most, let's say significant stories? We could say biggest, but, but what do you think are some stories that really, what you thought were really uh, uh, quite interesting and, and good? You know, we, we talk about this a lot. And I know I talk about this a lot, both in print and just conversationally. So I don't, want to be the dead horse but it is something we should keep talking about that um but it's 3d printing's place in pandemic response and what that means to the future of the industry because like when the pandemic hit just no one was prepared for it i'd say how could you be but traditionally you'd have a pandemic response team you know federally placed but that was dismantled a few years ago for no reason, but here we are. Let's not do politics. So we have... <laughs> Skip it out. <laughs> so skipping that, like there were significant supply issues, not just supply chain, but not having stockpiles of PPE, of testing equipment, of those sort of need it now, immediate response pieces, like not even looking at the medical equipment. Like there was no way to you know, previously estimate that we'd need so many ventilators around the world and ventilator parts and splitters and all of those kind of high profile places where 3D printing was able to jump in. But like when it comes to PPE and um, testing swabs in particular, like those are places where 3D printing really jumped in quickly to fill the gap. And that goes from individual makers to full scale corporate efforts. Like I was on a Zoom call last night and one of the fellows on it was saying that his company had printed over a million and a half nasopharyngeal testing swabs within, you know, a month or two's time. And they were just doing that as a stopgap until injection molding could pick up to that because like AM not needing tooling is huge because you can just pivot any operation to create something else as long as it's within the parameters of your equipment, but you don't need to make new molding. You don't need to make jigs and fixtures to hold these things. You know, you can just make it. There's obviously this use of um, bridge manufacturing while traditional does ramp up with those things that it needs and getting to that point where we can fulfill that bridge and keep things afloat for just a couple of weeks, months, however long that needs until the more, you know, still cost-effective injection molding and things like that traditionally can pick up and have everything they need made. So there's not this period of weeks or months where you have nothing. Then, you know, there's also kind of 3D printing as a stopgap in other measures where it was a supply chain failure because with international borders closing, with domestic borders being more difficult and logistics during the shutdown, that all needed something to keep going even if it's just spare parts for a washing machine you know people are at home more they need to use their washing machines more they need parts when it breaks so how can you get that and sometimes that's 3d printing out of all of this horrible year and 300,000 deaths in the u.s alone um, everything is bad but we are seeing people and technology both rising to the occasion And so ultimately there is the silver lining for the industry. And, you know, I've heard a few CEOs phrase that as a never waste a crisis situation where they're able to step up and 
prove their prove what they've been saying, you know, because 3D printing has been, I don't want to say all talk <laughs> for a while now, but the walk hasn't always matched the talk. You know, there was that period of hype that let a lot of people down because everyone's like, oh, you can make everything. And no, you know, you can't. <laughs> It's, yeah, people really want, want that dream of like yeah. the electronics even being made inside of a thing and whatnot. But yeah. And like that's one of those things. We'll get there. Like it will happen, but it will never be to the scale of this. So it's finding that realistic what can actually happen, what timeline, what break even point, what is the cost effectiveness, what is the timing, da 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 logistics, like what where does this make sense? And it's often 3D printing next to conventional manufacturing and you know working together. Again, the silver lining from all of this is that 3D printing proved its industrial niche niche, which is the technical term. <laughs> okay. So, so and do you think that's gonna be like is this a moment in time? Because there's like different there's like two different streams. There's people that believe this is like a truth point or a time when we could really do some, make a difference, show, showcase ourselves and also help people. Mm-hmm. And there's also a group of people that will really think that this is going to really change like perceptions or the market or our market. What, what do you think? Is it like a time that happened or is this something that's really going to fundamentally change us? I think that I don't like to project. Um, <laughs> I like to see how things happen, but I am inclined to understand the point of people who are saying that, this year has truly been a tipping point for the industry. And that's, again, something we've all heard before. 3D printing is kind of that squirrely kid on the field. Like, we mean it this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what are some other stories that, that, that you thought were really significant or interesting for you? Some of the biggest stuff I've been covering this year, um, one of the other publications where I contribute is at Forbes.com. So that's obviously not an AM audience. I'm still writing for people who are very familiar with manufacturing there, but it's more traditional. Something I've noticed really capturing a lot of attention there has been the investment that's still been happening in the AM. And that's because of what we just talked about with people believing in the technology with it proving itself out. But we've seen companies continuing to raise multi-million dollar funding rounds during a financially terrible year. Um, it is hard to just, no one has money just sitting around this year, you know? Yeah. Like a lot of people are really kind of hunkering down and trying to weather the storm and just see how they do. And so for any company to really be pulling in millions and launching something new, whether it be a growth phase, a new product, you know, what have you, expanding their team, we've been seeing a lot of it in 3D printing. Like dozens of companies have raised millions of dollars of investment this year. And that's, I mean, to me, that speaks volumes, you know, it's one of those really like put your money where your mouth is. Okay. How's $20 million? How's a hundred million dollars? Like here's this huge round. We believe in this, make it happen. So when, you know, we're seeing unemployment numbers just going up all the time, it's heartbreaking but there is so much hiring happening in the 3D printing industry right now. Like I spend maybe too much time on LinkedIn, let's be honest. Um, (laughs) It's not a proud hobby, but I am there like a lot. But the number of connections I have who are in hiring positions who have, were hiring as part of their little 
bio summary thing by their name, it is not inconsequential. Like a lot of them have that and same on Twitter with a lot of the company leads who I'm connected to there. Like a lot of these companies are hiring. And in many cases, it's because investors have provided a growth platform. And a lot of that growth comes through talent, through personnel. And so for this industry to be actively growing, and like I talked yesterday, maybe to the president of Ultimaker Americas, and he was pointing out how their company in North America saw 30% growth in the first half of this year. For this industry, for specific companies to be seeing double-digit gains this year, that says something real to me, more than belief, more than, oh, I really want this to work, more than, oh, I, I hope they mean it this time, yeah, you know. Yeah. It's working. <laughs> it's actually working. Yeah. Yeah, the I think the, the key thing there is that our, our business has always been a cash-based one. Yes, we've gotten some money from investors. There's an awful lot of companies that are like uh, bootstrapped. Uh, also, an awful lot of companies that use Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to be investor-led and do everything the investors want. And at the same time, there's cash going in this business, right? People are buying filament. People are buying 3D printers. People are buying 3D printing pens. So we weren't like, you know, Instagram or something like that based upon just clicks or something without a revenue, just eyeballs, no revenue with the wonderful moniker pre-revenue, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a, unemployed people should be like pre-employment. <laughs> pre-revenue. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like, I mean, and, and we were always a business where people were forking over thousands of dollars for machines, even on the beginning, they didn't work a lot. So, so, you know, there, there, the potential's always been there, I think. And I think it is getting, I would be one of those people that say this is, has been a watershed year and then we'll see us, uh, see come into a lot of real applications because we have gone in class to show, each, show, uh, show ourselves. And I think, you know, but we've always been in an industry where people had to pay for stuff, you know, and we weren't giving anything away for free except for some soft software. So I think that's a big difference. I think. Also the it's, we've reached a tipping point in the number of people that are now able to actually make 3d files. Yeah. Um, it's significantly more than it's you know been since this first started uh, yeah. from a public standpoint. Uh, so that's probably one of the larger things that makes it more accessible to more people. And there's even, you know, Tinkercad and stuff like that. There's software that like young kids can use uh, more easily than traditional uh, high-end software options. Yeah, like I'm super pumped for my son to be old enough to start tinkering with Tinkercad. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one. It's a while. I mean, my three-year-old obviously plays with his three-doodler a whole bunch. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh, that's right. You start there. Um, but yeah, at some point, software has to come into this game. So. Yeah, but it's cool because, you know, there's Tinkercad, but there's also all the time more educational support and training mm-hmm. um, at every level. Like there are master's degrees in AM available right now now you know people are receiving formal training in accredited institutions and of course there's a lot of corporate training and apprenticeships and all of these opportunities that are really popping up all the time like i'm in talk soon to edit a textbook on am that will again go through (laughs) universities so the training is going to be so critical to really fostering actual knowledge in that next generation. And what's incredible about that next generation coming in too is they know 3D printing, like they've been raised with it. Right. I'm still it's, sitting it's, here like, I remember seeing this on the news for the first time. And they're like, I don't, I don't know. Like one of my son's first toys that he got at my baby shower, it's a 3D printed dagger rattle. It's from a Game of Thrones sketch. I dared my friend to get one for him and she followed through and it's 3d printed because of course it is but you know he's sitting here with his little like 
3D printed dagger that rattles. Also, he loves it now, and it's hilarious. But, like, it's always part of his life. And it won't be just because that's what his mom does. Right. Because that's just what the world does. Yeah. I think the powerful thing I've noticed about kids is that is if you give them training in it, they, first of all, they're not as amazed at it as we are. They're like, okay, it works like that. You know, okay. It's magic. And I'm like, ta-da! And they're like, okay, dude. Uh. And then, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is that, that if they, uh, what I think they can take away from it is, is not just this technology, but this iteration thing. Yeah. The whole idea of just saying, look, it's not about, because on the one hand, First, they play like crazy. They play, right? And they discover the world through play. And then all of a sudden, we tell them on a certain day, they have to give a certain amount of answers or they fail. And actual life is not like that, right? So the idea of just making an earring and it's like, oh, it doesn't work. And then make another one. And then make another one that maybe is a little bit rounder. And then make another one that doesn't break, you know? That's much more, I think, what, you know, is actual life skill. And also what, much more what product development is like, right? Product development isn't just one test at one moment where you get an F or a C or whatever. It's just like, you know, you make things better. I think for me, that, that's a real takeaway that kids can have from this. Yeah, the sheer ability to iterate is one of the powers of 3D printing, to be able to make those changes and see them. Yeah, to fail and fail faster. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fail totally, faster, totally, totally. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fail faster all the time. I love that, dude. <laughs> gotta, I, I just think gotta I... fail better. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. No, totally, totally. no it's I a real thing. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's totally funny, true. but it's no, it's super true, and I love it. And so, so, and where, where do you want to? What, what are you looking forward to doing next year, or the, the yeah, across 2021? I mean, you know, personally, I'm looking forward to getting a vaccine, getting a bunch <laughs> of other people vaccinated, and then seeing them. Like I never thought I would say okay, this, okay. but I miss trade shows. I miss I, freaking I trade shows. I you too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that. I know. I know. Like, uh, I have an a, overpriced sandwich <laughs> and hurting yeah, feet and a headache. Oh man. I I'll haven't traveled since. Like, yeah. In in normal times, like I'd be on the road like a week or two every month. I have not yeah. traveled since August of 2019 because I started yeah. maternity leave in October uh, right. 2019. Oh, wow. yeah. And, you know, I had to stop flying a little bit ahead of that, a little high risk, but, you know, maybe cool. So I had, I gave birth the week before Form Next last year. So obviously right. I had to miss that. And, you know, Rapid was going to be my big, like, return to the world this year. And wow. I was on maternity leave until the beginning of March 2020. And I had two normal weeks, like starting to plan for rapid and starting to, you know, look at booking things and the world shut down two weeks after I started working again. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to see people. I can't wait to see the industry. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I can't wait to see the things that launched at Formnext that I missed and haven't gotten to see in person yet. And I still haven't. So, no, for 2021, I'm hoping for a healthier year. I'm hoping for a safer year, a more charitable one where, you know, just the world in general will be kinder to one another and, like, actually band together through more than technology to help us get past a pandemic that is a real thing. And for the love of all that's good, everyone, please mask up in public. Um, I don't know why that's an issue that people won't do, but I want people to be kinder, to work together, to get past this so that when we come together again, we're all there. Hopefully we won't have lost people from the industry. So my big hope for 2021 is seeing people. I miss the people. I miss 
the stupid airports. I miss the ridiculously <laughs> tiny Iberian ham sandwiches I always got at the Barcelona airport. It's the size of a business card, man. Like, uh, it's the stupidest sandwich, but I always get it. And it's like a euro. And I just, I want that. I want to go back to Barcelona. I want to go to Form Next. I want, you know, I was going to go back. Oh, I had like a three-week European tour with three different shows planned for this fall. Didn't happen. Haven't been anywhere. And I want this industry to keep growing. And I want to see it while it does so, so. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So, Sarah, I'm sure there's, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's, so Sarah, I'm sure there's lots of people that want to see you back as well. I miss uh, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for being here on the 3D Pod. Uh, my name is Joris Peels, and I was here today uh, with Sarah Gerke and Maxwell Vogue, as always. Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard, or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.